You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing today? That's it, really? Yeah, Yeah, we're okay. We were great till you came out, but... Now we're not too sure. Let's try that again. How's everybody doing today? Yeah! Man, it's so good to see you guys. So good to be here in the house this morning. If you got your Bible um, or a smart device, I want to encourage you uh, to turn with me um, to the New Testament. We're actually going to land in a couple places today. So um, you're going to have to, if you have a a paper Bible, you're going to have to um, maybe stick your finger in and hold the place. Um, if you've got a smart device, we'll have to do some, some trickeration to get back and forth. But we're going to be in the New Testament. Uh, first off, we're going to be in um, the, the first chapter of the first gospel, which is the first book of the New Testament there, Matthew. And then um, we'll skip over a couple books to uh, the first chapter of the gospel of Luke. Um, we call those the gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books in particular are such good news is because they tell us about the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we are going to uh, focus in on um, a couple things at the forefront of his life here this morning. So Matthew 1, Luke 1, and we'll be there, uh, we'll land there together in just a moment. Uh, Today we're in part two of a series called Advent, where we are taking a closer look at the themes of hope, faith, joy, and peace that are often at the forefront of the Christmas season. And to help us in that endeavor, we've uh, incorporated something brand new for Christwalk Church, certainly not brand new to the church, but brand new to Christwalk Church um, in the use of an Advent wreath, which you see right here over uh, my right shoulder uh, that we've incorporated into our celebration. And we're using it as the backdrop of this series. Um, last week, we lit the first candle of Advent, uh, which is known as the prophet's candle. And it serves as a symbol of hope. And together, we learn that Advent is, it's literally an invitation into the waiting room. It invites us to wait. And that in the midst of that waiting is where God often does his greatest work. And so that's what gives us hope. And so today, we're going to light the second candle of the Advent wreath. And so I'll go ahead and light the first one. Um, if I can get this to go. Prophet's candle. And then we light this second candle of Advent. And the second candle is known as Bethlehem's candle. It's known as Bethlehem's candle. And it's purple, uh, just like the one that precedes it. It represents royalty and the preparation for the coming king. And this symbolizes faith symbolizes faith, whereas the first candle symbolized hope. This candle symbolizes faith, and and faith is, it's a word that gets thrown around quite a bit in church circles. It seems like 
The pastor is always talking about faith in his sermons or the worship leader is singing songs about faith or someone in our life group is encouraging us through a difficult situation to just keep the faith, you know, just keep moving forward in faith. And any way that we slice it, um, that word or idea tends to come up regularly or consistently. And so that's where I'd like to start this morning by kind of zooming in and, and taking a look at that word, faith. And in the Old Testament, there are four primary words that are used for faith. They're going to be right here on the screen. Um, the first one of those words is emet, emet, and that means stable, certain, reliable, true, the second word for faith is immunah, and that means to take firm action. And then there's another form of immunah, which is, <coughs> excuse me, immune, and it means to trust that something is true. Or finally, we have this last word, aman, which is to confirm or support something as trustworthy. And I think that you can see from these words, both in the way that they are spelled and then also how they are pronounced, how we quickly get from there to the word that we say at the end of our prayers. We say amen, which means so be it. It is an agreement with the things that we have just prayed, or we will read from the scriptures and we will say amen because it is an agreement by faith. It is us combining the things that we believe and know to be true with the words that have just been declared and spoken. And we are saying, so be it. As it is written, as this was declared, so let it happen in my Life and so this is uh, th this is how like the beginning of faith and how it starts to play out in the life of the believer. Then we while while these are Old Testament words, we we fast forward to the New Testament and in the author uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, we we find the author defines. Uh, faith this way in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which is a chapter known to many as the Faith Hall of Fame. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Other people have tried to define faith through the years, like Colin Hightower, who once said, faith is building on what you know is here so that you can reach what you know is there. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. And so it's in this Advent season, this, this waiting season. And as we talked about last week, we're really in between two Advents and we are feeling the tension of the Advent of the coming of Christ as a baby in a manger. That's the Advent that we knew happened thousands of years ago and the Advent that we are looking forward to when he will come again to take all of those who have placed their hope and their trust in him as Lord and Savior to be home with him in heaven. And there we will live for all of eternity. We, we are in the, in the middle of those two advents and, and there's, there's tension there in the waiting. But, but this season of advent, it is an invitation that in the waiting to develop a greater, more robust faith. 
This, this Advent season, it's not simply a, a season of preparation for Christmas, but rather it's a season of faithfully preparing our hearts to receive Christ. And, and this call to faith in the midst of the Advent season, it, it stems all the way back to the Old Testament um, and the prophecies of Christ's coming. We'll take a look at, at one of those out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah says this, he says, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. A second Uh, Old Testament prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ can be found in in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. and He will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And then his people will live there undisturbed for he will be highly honored around the world and he will be the source of peace. And so we read these in the Old Testament, and, and obviously they're, they're, they're communicating to the people that would have received these prophecies, these words, and, and even communicating to us of events that were still yet to come. And so we fast forward from there to the New Testament, and we focus our attention on two prominent figures that we often talk about in the midst of the Advent season. Many of you have a representation of these two figures, maybe in your home, on a table, or in a mantle, or we have them here at the church, or you see them in department stores and displayed all over the place, and it's the figures of Joseph and Mary. And and the scriptures themselves record each of their accounts individually, in regard to the Old Testament prophecies that we have just read. And so we're going to pick up where I invited you to turn. We're going to first start in Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. So you can turn there. Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18. This is Joseph's account. It says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a derivative of the word or the name Joshua, which literally means God saves. 
We continue in verse 22. It says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. So now from there, let's flip over a few books later to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we'll pick up and begin reading Mary's account in verse 26, Luke 1, 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Continuing on in verse 30. He said, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be, a, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. We continue in verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And people used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And so we have these two prominent figures of Advent, Joseph and Mary, who we have come to know as the, the earthly parents of Jesus, the Son of God. And, and, and as, we, as we begin to read their story um, it's, it's not difficult for us to see that they're in a bit of a predicament or, or a pickle, uh, as, as it were. Um, they're, they're in the midst of this betrothal. And so things are quite a bit different in ancient um, Israel culture than, than they are here. Um, so this betrothal that they are in, um, it's as if they are married already. However... Um, the betrothal was a 12-month period. What would have happened is um, a man would have uh, uh, found someone that he wanted to, uh, a young lady that he wanted to be his wife, and, and there would have been an exchange through two families um, uh, of some sort of uh, money or goods or services, livestock, property, something like that. It would have likely been um, at least to a degree an arranged marriage. Chances are Mary was um, in her mid 
mid to late teens. Joseph was probably uh, several years older than her at this point. And she, in Mary, in her family, uh, she would have been a, a worker. Um, uh, she, she, would have, she would have played a part, maybe cooking or cleaning or taking care of the house or, or some of the other children. There would have been a specific role that she would have played part in helping her family function in the day to day. And so for Joseph to take her away from that, either he or his family would have had to provide something to Mary's family as a replacement to offset what they were quote unquote losing by Mary going to to be married to him. And so there's this, this 12 month period that now as they get betrothed and these goods are exchanged and everything and all of the arrangements are made. This 12-month period plays out where they, they are, they are, they're seen in the eyes of, of the government and, and, and the families and others around them that they are married, but they're living in separate houses still at this point. And, and the 12 months, it was a time of preparation for the groom to get the house in order so that he would be able to receive his bride. And, and it was during this, this time period that there's no sexual relationship, that even though they are seen as married, the, the relationship has not been consummated. And so the marriage would become complete at the end of this 12-month period with the physical consummation of the marriage. And so it's at this point that they're, they're invested in this betrothal. And once you're betrothed, um, once you're once you're engaged in this culture, it would have required an official like official papers of divorce in order to get out of this engagement. And so we see Mary and Joseph, and 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 they're they're in the midst of of this engagement, and they're both they're getting things ready for the big day when they can finally come together as husband and wife and officially be married. And then the the angel comes to them separately and lays out this plan for what is about to happen. And and. Because of their situation, there were some very specific ramifications that could have taken place on each side. And in Joseph's case, um, he would have become a laughing stock in the community, that everywhere he went, people would be giving him the side eye. And they'd be nudging each other with their elbows, and there would be whispers and, and talks about, can you believe that he is marrying that woman who clearly had a a relationship with someone else that wasn't him and all of the rumors and the things and 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 that would have been something that would have been a stigma that that was over joseph and and their relationship for the rest of their lives mary as a teenager she would have been shamed she would have been ostracized from her family and and from the people of her community and and even in in the worst case she would be stoned to death Uh, as a result of this adultery that she had allegedly committed. And so it's in the midst of this betrothal that they're excited about this wedding day that is approaching and and everything that comes along with it. And you have the hope and the anticipation of not just this groom and this bride, but the families and and the community that's come around them to support. And then God shows up in the middle of this and, and tells them what's going to happen and what he's chosen them for and how it's going to play out. And no doubt Mary and Joseph, they're sitting there going, God, this doesn't make any sense. 
Like, don't you see that you're messing everything up? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Like where you think you've got it all together. You know how things are supposed to play out. And then God comes in and he, he, he says, no, I, I want to take it this way. Or I want to do something different here. And you're like, look, don't you see? I've got this under control. God, you are in the way and you're messing this up. You're making it more difficult than it has to be. Mary and Joseph, they found themselves in that exact position. And there was, there was doubt there was questions. There was wrestling going on. The angel told both of them, he said, don't be afraid of what I'm telling you. Don't be afraid of what is going to happen. And Joseph, we, we find him when the angel visits him, he's, he's deliberating. He's going back and forth. He's weighing in his mind. He's considering the pros and the cons. And he, he's, he's wrestling with this decision that has to be made. And he's, he's come to the conclusion that it's best if he just divorces Mary quietly. If he does everything that he can to maintain his own integrity and then also to protect her reputation. I think it's really awesome the kind of guy that the Lord chose to be the earthly father of Jesus. We see this incredibly righteous and humble and respectful man. We can all aspire to be as husbands and fathers. He says, this is going to be the best. I can maintain my integrity. I can protect her reputation and we can do this. We'll do it quietly. Nobody has to know and we'll just go about things and it'll all be okay. Mary, she's a teenager. She's facing the possibility of raising a child on her own in a culture that is much different from ours. Yes, it's difficult here. It would have been near impossible in that day and age and time for her being ostracized from her family, being an outcast in the community. The Bible says that, that with the news that the angel brought to her that she was confused, that she was disturbed by it, that she said, how can this even happen? I think it's important for you and I to know that we can be in the very middle of God's will. Even if we find ourselves there, it doesn't always mean that things are going to make sense or that decisions are going to be easy. Just because we're where God wants us to be doesn't mean that life is going to be simple. We can be living for God all out, all in, all chips into the middle of the table and life still be difficult. Decisions can still be hard. The way forward may not be completely and totally clear. It may not be an easy road to walk the plan and the path that God has for us. It may be a trudge at times, but just because it's hard or difficult or doesn't make sense doesn't mean that we are outside of God's will. And then we find that Mary and Joseph, in the midst of this situation, they both come to the conclusion the decisions that have to be made in terms of how they are going to respond. And, and we see this incredible agreement of faith. In, in Matthew 
chapter 1 and verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke up from the dream where, where this angel was speaking to him, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, after the angel visits Mary, she says, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. See, both Mary and Joseph, they, they experienced doubt, they experienced fear, they experienced confusion and frustration, but yet they chose to live as people of faith. Somebody in here this morning, somebody watching with us online, you need to know that, that your doubt does not disqualify you. It's simply part of the process of growing to become more like Jesus Christ. Like, like because you doubt doesn't mean that you're less than or, or that, that somehow that, that other people are better Christians or better Christ followers than you are because, because you doubt and it seems like they don't. Doubt is just part of the process. And it's in the doubt that God is going to develop some things in us. So, so it's okay. Whenever there's doubt, lean in there because that's an area that God is wanting to prove himself to you. So in the middle of the doubt, know that you're not disqualified. See, faith is not an absence of doubt. Faith is, is more than simply our feelings because feelings are incredibly fickle. So faith is, is more than our feelings. Faith is a, it's a, conscious, a conscious effort, a decision for how we are going to, to believe. And then that belief results in behavior or perhaps uh, said a little bit differently, what I believe determines how I behave. What I believe determines how I behave. And, and there's, a, there's a pattern that takes place here. It's a pattern that we see in the life of Joseph and a pattern that we see in the life of Mary. And it's a pattern not just in, in those two lives, but, but in the lives and the stories all throughout the arc of Scripture. And the pattern looks like this right here. It, it's that faith requires trust. And then trust requires obedience. And obedience requires action. We can't have faith in something if we don't trust in it. We can't trust in something if we aren't going to submit ourselves and be obedient to it. And we can't fully be obedient to anything if we never take action on it. So in, in, in Mary and Joseph's case, they would have known the Old Testament prophecies. The two that we read and many more, these would have been things that would have been well known to them in their Jewish upbringing. And they would have been a part of the nation of Israel that was actively looking, they were seeking, they were, they were searching for this coming Messiah. So they would have known these Old Testament prophecies. And then the angel appears to them. You better believe an angel shows up. You're going to believe what that angel says, right? So they would have believed the testimony of the angel, and here's, here's why, first and foremost, because it aligned with Scripture, because it reinforced what the Scripture says, and this is important to all of us as we are practicing our faith. To take a step of faith 
that isn't in line with scripture, that's not faith, that's stupidity. Okay? God told me that I'm going to go out and, and buy a brand new Lamborghini. And I'm just, and, and that he's going to provide the funds for it. I'm just stepping out on stupidity is what you're stepping out on. Yeah, you're stepping out on a $1,500 a month car payment for the next 12 years. That's what you're stepping out on. We got to be sure that when we take a step of faith, that it is in alignment with and agreement with the word of God. And so, so Joseph and Mary, they would have known these Old Testament prophecies. They would have then connected those to what the angel was communicating to them. And they would have said, okay, this makes sense. Like, I can see this lining up, what you're saying. It's beginning to compute. But then they had a decision to make. They had a decision to make. Where, where the rubber meets the road. They had action to take as to whether or not they were going to come into amen. They were going to, to be in agreement with or, or that they were going to say, so, so be it. And, and the decision that they, they had to make it ultimately, it, it came to fulfillment um, in this trip that they took to Bethlehem to tie it back into the Bethlehem candle and the symbol of faith. This was the fulfillment Because why on earth would they have wanted to go through with this? Why on earth would they have wanted to take this trip to Bethlehem? Why on earth would they have wanted to jump through all of these hoops if it was something that they did not believe to be true? But because they believed it, because they knew and they believed, and it played out in the actions that they took, it was an act of obedience. And and in Luke chapter 2, we we read this passage, It's, it's... maybe known as the Christmas story to a lot of us. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And when they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. If it were not by faith, why in the world would this trip have ever taken place? Men among us who in their right mind would ever ask a woman in her third trimester, to travel 70 miles as the crow flies, but considerably longer over rough and rocky terrain on the back of a donkey. Who among us would want to make that trip? Nobody. Women, those of you in your third trimester, as you've kind of been through that experience, you don't want to go anywhere even in a cushioned and heated leather seat of an SUV, just taking a trip to the grocery store, let alone over rocks and rills and, hill and hills and, and, and out of the way. And, and, then, and, 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 and can you imagine 
your, your husband coming to you and say, hey, babe, we're going to take this trip. It's going to take us, mm, you know, somewhere between five and ten days, depending on how quickly we can travel. And I've got the best donkey that money can buy. And, and, and well, when we get there, what are the accommodations like? Well, honey, I love you, but I, I really don't know. I'm not sure that they have a place for us. I got on Hotwire and Hotels.com and Priceline and William Shatner told me there's no room in the inn. So we're just going to have to fake it till we make it. Like no one is going to take that trip unless it is by faith. And so what, what Advent points us to and what the story of, of Mary and Joseph and other heroes of the faith show us is that, that faith then, if, if we're really trying to, to uh, uh, give it a definition and, and define what it looks like for us, it's, it's in an intersection of three things. It's an intersection of, of the head, the heart, and the hands. It's an intersection of the head that, that this is what I know to be true where that then plays into the heart of this is what I believe as a result of that. Because of the things I know, this is what I believe as a result of that. And then that spills over into our hands that this is now how we behave because of it. it it's kind of like this. Let me, this is maybe the best illustration I got this morning. It's kind of like this ladder right here. I was warned about this ladder. I was told it was potentially rickety. So I'm going I'm to take my life in my own hands this morning because I'm so committed to teaching you all the word of God. See, I, I know a lot about step ladders, like how John H. Balsley invented the first one in 1862. Yeah, I've done a lot of reading on the life and times of John H. Balsley. If you're having trouble going to sleep tonight... Wikipedia, John H. Balsley, step ladder. You're welcome. <laughs> I have actually, myself, I have seen a, a lot of ladders of different shapes and sizes and colors for sale at my local hardware store. I've, I've witnessed others using ladders themselves at various times in my past. Painters, Firemen, carpenters, window washers, etc. And, and I can see that this ladder actually exists and, and that, that is supported by both my ability to reach out and touch it, by the eyeballs that I have in my head that, that I can see that there's a ladder here, and then also by your testimony. Would you all agree that there is a ladder here on the stage? See how we do this together? It's an incredible partnership. And when I look at this ladder, I, I hope that it can elevate my position. And, and I, I realize that, that, that things will look quite a bit different from the top of it. I will have a much different perspective from, from up here than I do down here. But as long as I remain on the floor, the things that are now unseen will never become a reality. And, and so this is when it becomes faith. It's, it's when I take the first step. 
See, here, I knew the ladder existed. I believed that it could elevate my position. But it doesn't actually become faith until I get up on it. And, and then as I climb this ladder, what, what's interesting about a ladder is that with, with each step, the, the step becomes more narrow, becomes a little bit more shaky, uh, a little bit more difficult to take. There's more fear involved. There's more questions. But then from up here, I have a completely different perspective on things than I ever had before. And as long as I remained on the ground, I would never get to see things from the viewpoint of God who is seeing all of this happen in in real time. As long as I stayed on the ground, as long as I never acted on that faith, I would never get to see things from the way that, that he's inviting me to see them. See, it, it, it's, it's not enough to just believe that the ladder exists. It, it's not enough to just believe that the ladder has the ability to elevate my standing and to extend my reach. None of that matters unless I choose to climb the ladder, right? And as I do, the things that were once unseen, the vision that I didn't have, the perspective that I couldn't gain, all of a sudden, because of my steps of faith, that comes into crystal clear focus. The things that once didn't make any sense, as I take steps of faith and as I climb that ladder, all of a sudden, oh, I get it, God. I can see things now from your perspective. I can see what you were calling me to and what you were inviting me to and and what you were challenging me with. I can see see why it looks so difficult for my position down there on the floor. But as I took those steps of faith with every single one, my perspective changed just a little bit. And then when I reached the top, I could see things the way that God was seeing them the whole time. But for me to get there, I had to trust him. And for me to trust him, I had to obey him. And for me to obey him, I had to take action. James says it like this in James 2, verse 17. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Faith without works, faith without action, just to know it or to believe it, if we don't take action on it, it's worthless. As I mentioned earlier, the Advent season is an invitation to you and to me for a greater, more robust faith. See, it's, it's not enough for us this morning to just know what the scriptures say about the coming of Jesus and just know what they say about Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and a baby in a manger. It's not enough for us to just sing songs about his birth or to decorate our house with a tree and a nativity scene or to light a candle and take communion at a Christmas Eve service. See, none of that matters unless we allow the coming of Jesus into the world to change the purpose and the trajectory of our life by recognizing and receiving him as Emmanuel, God with us. And and what I'm taking away from this passage today and and what I hope that you will too, something that's really been challenging me here lately you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. It's, it's simply this. 
faith isn't faith if it doesn't impact how we choose to live. Faith isn't faith if it doesn't impact how we choose to live. I know a whole lot of people who claim to be Christians. They claim to have faith, but it's not impacting the way that they live. Their life after Christ looks the same as it does or as it did before Christ. And those things should not be. Faith isn't faith if it doesn't impact how we choose to live. If I'm not living differently because of my faith in Jesus, it's not really faith. It's just something that I know. But until it plays out in action, it's not really faith. So so my question then for us today, what I I feel like the, the Lord is, what he's challenging me with, so I'm just gonna serve as a conduit this morning and extend this to all of you, is simply this, does, does my behavior or is your behavior, does our behavior, the way that we live, does it support our belief, the things that we know? Does it support our belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the King of Kings, that he is Emmanuel, God with us? We looked at our life, the way that we're conducting business right now. Looked at our marriage, the way that we parent, our relationships with our kids, our, our, the, way, the way we do things at, at work, the way we handle our finances, the way we live on the day-to-day, the way that we just treat other people in general. If we look at all of that, does the way that we live, the way that we choose to behave, does it convey the belief that we claim to have about who Jesus is. Look, if you don't believe that he's the Messiah, you don't believe that he's Emmanuel, God with us, then you're off the hook. You don't have to live any certain way. But for those of us that do make that claim, for those of us that do say we're Christ followers, for those of us that do say, my faith is in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then something about us has to change. Our life should look different than it once did. And with every step that we take, we should gain a greater perspective of who God is and what he's wanting to do in and through us. That's what this Advent season is about. It's an invitation in the midst of the waiting to strengthen our faith, to grapple with some difficult issues, some things in our life that just don't make sense, that maybe they're full of doubt and fear and frustration, but we're saying, God, I'm going to trust you because I know what your word says. And I believe that it's true, so I'm gonna step out in faith so that I can gain a greater perspective toward what you're trying to teach me in this moment. So how about you? Where in your life is God calling you to respond in greater trust? Or maybe in in what area have you been up to this point reluctant to obey? Perhaps because the situation is is difficult or no matter how many times you look at it, it, it just doesn't add up. So where have you been reluctant to obey or or? Maybe right now the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart and you know, what is the action step that you need to take today without delay 
the action step you need to take today to solidify your faith and move it from merely what you know and let it become the guiding factor for how you live. For somebody today, maybe in this room, maybe watching online, that first action step could simply be entering into a covenant relationship with God through accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're here today, you're with us, I wanna invite you to pray this simple prayer along with me if you'd like to do that. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.